On Racing HQ, Monday's Experts, studying the form of racing's characters. Monday's Experts, they've always got the good oil, pity you can't put a bet on at the finish of a race. All right, well, now it's time for this week's Monday's Expert, and it is Lizzie Jelfs. And, of course, we're used to seeing Lizzie all the time on Sky Thoroughbred Central, provide those picks of the yards and insight and analysis into what's happening on the racetrack. But now it's time to find a little bit about Lizzie's story. And we've seen some of those stories already written by Ray Thomas and various other media around the traps, but we thought we'd get her on the radio and put her under a bit of pressure. It's always good. Uh, Lizzie, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, great to be joining you and all the listeners. All right, uh, let's go right back and start. I want to know the Lizzie Jelf story before Sky Racing. Uh, when did you first get involved with horse racing? I first got involved with horse racing around the age of 16. I was looking, I was always interested in horses and I did pony club for years and I suppose I was just looking for another avenue that I could uh, use my, um, you know, my horse riding and my horse love and passion um, to a full extent in a working capacity. So I was looking for jobs and I didn't want to work in a riding school and I didn't want to um, go and work for an eventer. So I thought I'll try racing and that's where I came across racing. And basically from the first moment I turned up at the job and rode the first horse on the gallop, that was it. The rest was history. I said, this is me for the rest of my life. That's pretty cool. Was there a, a family connection with horse racing back in the day? No, no family connection at all. I'm one of the rare ones who just came into it through, I think you see more and more now, but I'm one of the rare ones who came into this industry just through by default and by pure just excitement and and loving the horse and just being really passionate about the animal. What was it that first, I guess, drew you to the horse? So if you didn't have the family connection and Pony Club was, was first, was it uh, that you'd seen them before or you'd, you'd spotted them on the television or what What made you get into Pony Club? Yeah, so it was from as long as I remember, I've always loved horses. I can't actually remember the, the moment that I loved them. I, my mum tells me it was when I was taken to a school fete and my nanny at the time asked me you know uh, put me on her horse and said oh you know and I just loved it so my mum's mum introduced me to it and then I just fell in love with it from then and my I just remember everything being a horse because I didn't have a horse until I was a bit older so the couch turned into a horse the climb frame (laughs) the salt and pepper the you know knife and fork they all turned into some horse that I was you know you know dreaming of and loving and yeah riding lessons happened and then I bugged them and bugged them for a pony and I got a pony but I did everything myself my parents were firm believers in even though you've got a horse you need to make sure you do everything yourself and you work for every element of it from the feed to the bedding to the rugs it was all you know sort of a bargaining tool working for my mum and dad yeah yeah it was was, I was really fortunate but it definitely installed into me the passion for horses and that's how it's carried on into racing. Was there any hesitation uh, from your, your your parents or family uh, in, in regards of, you know, you've come home, you, they're not from a racing family, uh, they're not around horses all the time, and you're saying, get me a horse, get me a horse. Were they sort of thinking at the start, oh, it's just a phase at all? You know, she'll move on to something else, uh, but lo and behold, here you are. But was there any, did your mum or dad ever say, oh, geez, you know, we weren't keen on the idea to start with? Yeah, look, I think they were they were fine with the idea of me being involved in horses in the pony club aspect and loving, you know, having that as a hobby. 
but when I went into racing, they they were, I, you know, I'd be lying if I didn't say they were a bit sort of nervous about where I was sort of heading and, you know, what my career was going to hold. You know, even if there was a career in racing, it's not really well publicised, I suppose, back then. It's a little bit better now, but certainly wasn't a a job that you'd be sending your, you know, 16-year-old daughter to go and do. Mm. So you, you in the Pony Club, you've got this love of horses. How did you, what made you sort of go straight from Pony Club into to working in the uh, the horse racing industry in the UK? Was it just you thought, okay, well, I need to stay on this particular road of, of being involved with this animal? Yes, exactly. I just wanted to stay involved with, uh, with the horse. And there was no way I could see it that there was a monetary way of doing it via, you know, show jumping and eventing. I'm not from a you know, hugely wealthy families where they were going to set me up and into Pony Club. And, you know, it's a, it's a lot of money and a lot of commitment from, you know, a backer or a family member. So I wanted to forge my own way and find a way that I could be involved with the horses, but also turning into a job. And when I got into racing, I realised how many different avenues there were uh, to be able to continue with a career in racing. So I think that's why I ended up getting really involved in the racing game and I went to uh, and did an, a higher national diploma in equine science to sort of back me up because my parents wanted me to have some form yeah. of qualification after school so I did that for a little bit and then uh, yeah the rest is history I came out to Australia. Okay so who was the first person you worked for in the UK? Charlie Edgerton who's really well known within the racing circles in the UK and also overseas as well he actually was the guy who linked me up with Lindsay Park right so you're working there at uh, at Charlie's and no doubt you're not just I mean at Pony Club I mean you said that you know from the horse that you owned yourself you know and this was obviously instilled by your parents it wasn't just a matter of riding the horse and going home it was caring it was feeding it was cleaning up the mess etc so no doubt you would have gone through some some tough schooling at Charlie's uh, and probably some unpleasant jobs, I'm tipping. <laughs> oh, there's always unpleasant jobs. Whether you, whether I, I, I reckon it's only about a few years ago I went through a few more unpleasant jobs in racing. Like it's, it, it is a glamorous sport, but at the coalface it's not glamorous at all. You know, you're, you're knee-deep in horse muck. You're, you know, you're having to deal with, you know, sometimes you're patching horses up when they've done silly things and injured themselves. Like there's lots of scenarios where, you know, it's, it's not glamorous at all, but you every single person that works in the stables like I did, they do it for the love of the animal and for the passion mm. for racing. And that's probably something that I never lose. And hopefully I'm able to bring that through to what I do in the yard. So you're at Charlie's. What makes you get on the plane and come to Australia? I basically just wanted to travel the world and I saw there was an opportunity by riding horses and being able to ride track work. And as you know, uh, Australia is very welcoming to um, the 457 visas or the working holiday visas. So I jumped on a plane and headed over to Australia and it was that link with uh, Lindsay Park and Charlie Edgerton that set me on my way of you know, working for those guys. And in the, in the end, I worked for them the entire time. I never left. You, you certainly didn't leave. And look, you know, that's been our blessing that you, uh, you haven't left. Uh, so you, you're working with David Hayes. Um, how was that different? from your UK experience when you first started with Charlie? It's vastly different. When you first come over, you're riding on a flat track, so opposed to riding up hills, the horses over here are a lot stronger and you have to be a lot more physically fit because they are they're a lot more keen and they uh, 
to be relentless when you're riding them. You know, you're riding them for, say, a couple of laps around a track. So that's um, sometimes 2,000 metres. And whereas in England, it's usually up a six furlong gallop and you're, they're not so strong and they're much more relaxed and they're not as sort of switched on. So it is a lot different and you adapt to that pretty quickly. You obviously adapt to the racing. There's a lot, quite a lot more racing that you're going to all the time, all through the year, whereas in the UK, there's a flat season and the jump season. So there's a, a busy period and then there's um, a, a less busy period during the quieter months when the jumpers come in. So there's a lot of differences. And of course, the training is very different as well. We train over longer distances and then the horses over here are trained over shorter, sharper trips and then more focused on sprinting. So yeah, there's lots of difference, but there's great elements to both sides of the continent. Because you were so far away from home, and obviously, uh, when did, so when did you, how old were you when you moved out to uh, Australia? Eighteen when I first came out here, and 18. I used to come here and work for about eight months, and then I'd travel back to the UK, and then I'd work back there and ride out for different people, various different people like you know, Sir Michael Stout. Um, did a little stint with Ed Dunlop as well, and Peter Chappellheim. Lots of different trainers. And just, yeah, was able to enjoy different elements of, of uh, you know, sort of being in, in Australia for their carnival and then coming back to the UK and spending summer with my family and also working in racing. Was there ever a moment when you were out here, though, and you were, you know, sort of a bit, bit homesick? Yeah, I got very home. I mean, I still get homesick now. It's really hard being away from family. And I still feel that Australia is, like my part-time home, and the UK is still my home as well. I suppose after, yeah. I think after 17 years, you would feel like it was you were fully in Australia. But yeah, it's, look, it's, when you're in love with two countries, it's very hard to always settle. It must be. Uh, so we're working for David, uh, and obviously we're getting wonderful experiences. Uh, eventually, you you pretty much end up running his sort of Sydney satellite stable. That's correct. That's right. Yeah. So I travelled for about 10 years and then incorporated in the time that I wasn't travelling, I used to run his satellite stable in Sydney, very similar to what Claire Cunningham did and also what Annabelle Neesham um, did for Kieran Maher. And that was my, you know, that was probably the first foray into being very independent and away from the trainer. And it was a wonderful experience. And yeah, some of the, you know, the best days in racing that I've had have been running that stable. Yeah, that must have been a wonderful grounding for you. I mean, obviously, we we marvel at what you do in regards to picks of the yard and the analysis. And, and I think that uh, it, it's it, hopefully what this sort of chat does is it it gives some people a bit of an insight into that, you know, you're not just a, a person who's come through a, a particular system. You've actually been through multiple systems, really. Um, so you're getting all this different opinion analysis, and obviously, then you're forming your own and... And that's obviously what you're doing when you uh, when you do that every Wednesday and Saturday. That's right. Yeah, I've I've come through. I've worked with some of arguably the best horses that we've had in Australia in the you know the last fifteen twenty years. So I've been really fortunate to work with horses like Miss Finland, Fields of Omar, Nick and Nero, Nikoni, uh, Nadim, Rianne. The list sort of goes on and on. I've probably missed a few. Torquette, who won. Uh, Caulfield Cup and uh, Metropolitan. So I've worked with an array of different horses from two-year-olds to imports to really smart three-year-olds. Um, I've been I've been really lucky to work at the coalface with them. And I remember one one of my fondest memories was just before the Golden Slipper and I was walking through the barn. This is the year that Miss Finland won. 
And I was walking through the barn in Sydney and there's eight boxes. And I looked across at every single box that I had and I had a multi-million dollar horse in there. And I was about 22 at the time. And I thought to myself, am I ever going to sleep tonight? And yeah, it's it's just the responsibility that's given to people to look after these, you know, multi-million dollar horses that, you know, everything is on the line when they race and making sure that they are all okay and that they have a nice life and they are well looked after is responsibility that a lot of young people in this industry have to partake in. Yeah, that's exactly right. Is that why it, it? I was going to bring up Annabelle a bit later on because you've got a very close connection with Annabelle, but is that maybe why you resonate a lot with Annabelle? I know she's a close friend, but the responsibility she's been given in a, a tough training environment in Sydney and obviously what uh, what she's achieving, um, that must be proud. You know, obviously women in racing is a, is a big thing and it's an important thing and I think they're going just as well as the blokes, if not better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think that it just, Annabelle, how I became friends with her was was a very organic. It was just exactly how you said. It was because we both shared a common knowledge, a common passion and uh, common circumstances as to where we both started in racing. And look, Annabelle is incredible what she's been able to achieve. And not only that, I just I marvel at how confident she is in a what she's a, a bit younger than me, so she probably doesn't feel like this, but what has been a, a predominantly man's world, and she doesn't look like that at all. She doesn't, you know, she is just, she's laser focused. She, you know, she's tough, she's kind, generous, but the biggest factor of all is she's very passionate about her horses, and I think she's got the perfect element to be a very, very successful, if not top, top class trainer in the future. Now, what about the move away from, so you're travelling the world, you're working for David Hayes, you, as you said, you're dealing with multi-million dollar horses. I think at this stage you're back in Melbourne. Will you start working for racing.com? How did that come about? Uh, that came about, so I just, I actually ran the the Melbourne stable for David when they restructured and came and moved Lindsay Park from Adelaide to Euroa. So I, I was asked by David if... Um, I just actually had a baby at the time. I just had my eldest daughter, Isabella, and he said to me, would you, we were, they were having a bit of a lull and they said, you know, I really need to start rebuilding and you and, and Gary Fennessy, who's still there, are, you know, you know the system, you work so well together and you're, you know, you'll be with me a long time, both of you combined. So the offer is there, would you like to come back to Melbourne and run the Melbourne stable? And that was sort of like a really, uh, big part or a pinnacle moment in my career because that had always been run by Gary Fennessy who's been there for 50 years and he was the head honcho there and that was always a, um, something that I thought well I'm going to be running a you know 40 horse stable with the best horses on offer time going around in, in that yard so I went I went to Melbourne and Gary went to Euro and we worked in unison with David and started building the brand back up and making everything successful again they had a bit of a low period so it was building confidence back up in clients and being able to get the results with the horses. And it worked really, really well. So I did that for about three years. And then I fell pregnant with my second daughter, uh, Zara. And we ended up moving back to Sydney due to wanting to be closer to a support network up here. So I moved back. And about three months after I'd had Zara, I got a phone call from David. And he asked me if I would be interested in working for racing.com who just I think they'd only been established about six months at the time 
And he said, you know what Jenny Chapman does? You know the, the lady you love in Hong Kong? I said, yes. And he said, they're looking for one of those. And funnily enough, I actually said, oh, no, I don't think that's the right role for me. I'm not, you know, very confident in front of the camera. And he said, what are you talking about? You've been doing this for years, which I had been doing post and pre-race interviews. Plus, I'd been talking track work to TVN and Racing.com for years. So he sort of really pushed me into doing it. And so mm. did my husband, Ryan. And, and uh, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, it's fantastic. We're chatting with Lizzie Jelves here on Monday's Expert. Uh, Lizzie, you then moved to Sydney, so an opportunity arises for you to come to Sydney uh, to do what you were doing uh, in Melbourne. Was there any apprehension on coming back to Sydney? Uh, you know, or, or was your family up here and you wanted to get back to the what I think the best city in the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I I loved working for Racing dot com. They were they were a great young team to work for and. They gave me my first opportunity and people like Jason Richardson and Shane Anderson, um, Scott Perrin, they have been, you know, they, they were they were great by giving me the opportunities. But it was a case of I just wanted to be around my family and be, I, I didn't want to relocate. And the opportunity came up at Sky and I sort of, yeah, I, I had to go for it, even though I, I was very, you know, I was very nervous because I'd spent so much nurturing time at racing.com. So, yeah, the opportunity came up and it was purely a personal move. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad I've made the move, though, because I think it's been it's been great not only personally but professionally as well. It's, it's given me a lot of brevity to be able to do other areas of the job and, and get really stuck into Sydney racing, which I'm really passionate about. They're two different beasts, Sydney and, and Melbourne racing. They're both fantastic uh, in regards to, to what they offer. But I remember when you first came to Sydney and you were starting your, your role, and it's just like anything with, say, punters or just general opinion, even from within our own network. Um, you know, you're sort of starting this role. It was something that Sky had never really emphasised. And, I mean, now it's it's become a vital part of, of a Saturday. Uh that must make you proud that you've established yourself as a, a really important part of that that team on Sky Thoroughbred Central. Yeah, I think with with the Sydney audience, they're a much um, more vocal and tougher audience. And they there was a point there where I thought, oh, maybe I'm out of my depth here. It's not so much. It, it's really tough because there's so little between each and every horse on a race day. And that's when I knew I had to sort of evolve and make sure that I was very I was I would try to be as, as right as I was possible as possible and able to tip winners because I know that's what this guy viewers really want so it, it was a bit of a at the start it was a bit of a baptism of fire but now I feel like I've made it my my own and that it's something that people want to replicate all around the place you know I see Bernie in yeah. Queensland doing the pick of the yard and you know something that she's really she's really good she's got a great grounding like myself and it's something that is so important for race day everywhere, not just for in Sydney. So, yeah, I love the fact that it's it's now one of the main tools that punters use to find a winner. All right. Uh, what about away from the track? What was Lizzie Jelves going to do or be if uh, we didn't get that pony back in the day? <laughs> if we didn't get that pony and, and the, the parents said, no, you're not getting involved with horses, what would you have been end up uh, ended up doing? Oh, who knows? Imagine, like, what else could have I done, really? I did want to say to my – I did want to always travel, uh, but 
And I told my mum once I was going to be an airline hostess, I think, at some point, and she burst out laughing, laughing saying that my customer service is definitely not up there. So, <laughs> so I think I think eventually I would have always gravitated back into Back into racing. Something to do with Does, it. Well, something to do with the animal, something to do with, with horses. Yeah. So maybe, maybe somewhere something. A vet. Uh, maybe a vet. I'm definitely not smart enough. <laughs> I feel like I've got a vet degree already after working working in the stables for 20 years. So, <laughs> yeah, look, I think there's, there's lots of different avenues. But I actually couldn't see myself doing anything else. And you know what, Dave? I'm so old. I couldn't even think what I dreamt of. And I don't have Please. enough sleep with two kids. <laughs> you're not – come on, you're not that old, Lizzie. Come on. Um, what about the best horse? Here's a, here's a two-pronged question. Best horse you've seen uh, with your own eyes and the best horse you've also ridden or worked uh, when you were working uh, in your other role. So the best horse I've seen with my own eyes would have to be Winks. Um, admired Frankel from afar, but – and. Neither of them went overseas, so they're the, the best, the most talented horses that I've seen in, in my time. Winks because she could, everything could go wrong. I don't, it doesn't matter what she was beating, but everything could go wrong, and she was still able to win. She used to be able to sit off a slow tempo and you know cover the whole field and and win against horses that she shouldn't have been able to overcome. You know the, the difference. So look, I think she's the best horse I've ever seen. The best horse I've ever sat on uh, would have to be Miss Finland. She would have to be uh, purely because she may not have had the record that a lot of the other horses that I've had a lot of a lot to do with have had, but she was able to win a Golden Slipper in the April, and then in the November she won an Oaks, and then she came back as a three-year-old and a four-year-old and won Group One races. And I just yeah. think that she was so so tough and so versatile that she was the best that I've ever sat on. Yeah, what an incredible. I mean, that's the one thing about the racing game these days uh, is that, you know, there's there's a, a brilliant filly in Miss Finland and what she achieved, and it's almost like they're not in the forefront of our mind. Uh, it's it's only until you mention her, you go, wow, you know, what what she achieved with Golden Slippers and then Oaks, etc. and we just have so many good horses that are going through the system at the moment. Yeah, and she won. She won at Guineas as well. Yeah, she also then went and won the Futurity, and she probably was. You know, I'm sure the owners' group would say she was very unlucky in a Cox Plate, and the horse that subsequently beat her Fields of Omar. He was he was one I rode a lot as well. So, yeah. look, I think that she was probably the best I've. You know, just because of her versatility, she was the best that I had um, anything to do with. What about uh, if people are looking, watching you at home and they're, you know, deciding on, say, number one and then you're coming on and saying, yep, I, I like number one, et cetera, et cetera. You're not looking at the form, uh, so to speak. You're, you're more looking at the, the animal and, and what the animal is looking like. Uh, can you explain briefly, and it probably deserves its own half an hour uh, discussion, but what you're exactly looking for when, you, um, when you're making these horses the pick of the yard? I... When I do my work and my form before a race day, I do do form. So I have a look through what the horses are doing and, and where they're. It's, it's organically done. It's something that you have to be able to know where they sit in a run and how they're going and where they are in their preparation. So I do do a bit of form, but the form is second to what I am looking at in the yard. So I might come up with five horses that I like 
And then those five horses I will go through and see who parades the best. And if the favourite is a $2 favourite, which a lot of the time I don't even know the price of them, say it's a $2 favourite, it doesn't matter how good its form is. If its parade is not up to what I expect or what I, I think is a winning parade, I will put a line through them and I'll tell the punter that. So I think sometimes it's what, I, what I'd say, it's not necessarily picking the winners, it's also about the appraisal of each horse, especially when they're well in the market. Mm. It's something that uh, plenty of people admire. I mean, how do you, how does it sit with you now that, uh, you know, I've been in plenty of tabs on, on journeys that I've done with HQ and your pick of the yard will come up on this, even Sky Racing one screens and you'll, you'll see and hear punters saying, oh, Lizzie's picked the one, Lizzie's picked the one. Hey, Robbo, quick, go and put 20 on, like, they're actually wanting to follow your recommendations. And, I mean, that's across the country. That That's not just one tab. That would be in multiple. They love you, Lizzie. I mean, how does that sit with you? Oh, I just hope that I can always do them justice. And that's, I, I want to be able to do the work for punters so that they can, you know, they can have a... So from punters who are, you know, the $20 gamblers to people who are having their big bet to people who've already had a bet and I'm you know, giving them an appraisal of what they've backed. I, I, there's a lot of, I feel a lot of, um, you know, I, I make sure that I do the best job I can possibly do for them because I'm very aware that they're parting with money and I feel like it's, you know, I have a responsibility to make sure I deliver the right information and it's truthful information and I can only tell them what I'm seeing in front of me and hopefully um, I'm right more times than I'm wrong. That's, I think that's a fantastic way to end. Thank you for spending Monday with us, Lizzie. You're welcome anytime. Uh, that was a really good chat and uh, keep up the great work and looking forward to a, a big spring ahead. Well, you'll be with us over winter, but a big spring ahead. Now, I don't know how you juggle it all with the family and everything. It's uh, hats off to you. Yeah, thank you. No, thanks for having me. I'm just, I'm, I always feel very fortunate that I get to do this job. So I appreciate the chat. Lizzie Jolfs, ladies and gentlemen, that is our Monday's expert. And we're looking forward to next week. Uh, if you've got any feedback from these, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, etc., please share on social media. We'd love to, uh, to get as many people involved with Monday's Expert as possible. We'll take a break on Sky Sports Radio.